When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Welcome back from the golf course, Phil Matt. Thank you. I heard you guys weren't bitter or jealous at all yesterday. I was not. I can't say as much for the producer. He was not happy. I'm not one to have those emotions. No, clearly. (laughs) Clearly clearly not. No bitterness. No, never with Dave. Uh, We were saying that it would be fun fun to get you out on one of these courses to continue the Judd Zolgad uh, Athlete Challenge. We don't even have to Haven't do TPC. We could just do like Como, just do a little little muni course. Haven't Fine. you Less guys seen stand. enough? I'd rather get the guy that doesn't golf on the course than the one guy that does. Yeah, right? it's that's more fun. hilarious. It's that's more. nice. Oh, the bitterness is outstanding. Really great. Add wings. All right, Timberwolves. You know what? I was uh, perusing through Twitter. We'll talk about yesterday. Yesterday was a, uh, a tin cup moment for this guy here. You guys saw the, the scorecard that I tweeted out. <laughs> we tried to dissect it, so go ahead. We'll, yes. we'll talk about that in a second here. Yep. But. Uh, I, I got a question for you. The Roycey Tibbs bromance. Uh-huh. When did this start? I'm going through Twitter last night, and uh, I'm just going to read you <laughs> tweets from Patrick Roycey. Okay, is it him being a contrarian, or is there a, a budding bromance between Tom Thibodeau and Patrick Roycey that I just don't really, I haven't been clued into here? So he tweets three hours of BSing with Tibbs and his buddy from Harvard days, Mike Opat. Mike Opat was. One of the uh, one of the main was it? Like, would you call him a legislator in two thousand nine? Okay, okay, he's the Hennepin County Commissioner. Yeah. But in two thousand nine, when the stadium was yeah, he was big okay. deal in that. Yes. Uh, so, anyways, they're friends going back. So, yep. he has three hours of BSing with Tibbs. We didn't just talk basketball; we also talked football, baseball, hockey, and Twitter verse. Uh, BSing is the operative phrase. Storytelling, not story writing. When someone said, "Did you ask about Wiggins? Is he going to trade Wiggins?" And Pat said, Tibbs did give me one scoop. He recently heard Jerry Burns' That's Not Schnelker's Fault outburst and considers it the funniest rant of all time. Are they like, do they go So what are you interested in here? I guess my my two questions are, do you know more about the bromance than I do? And by Royce putting his arm around Tibbs, is it a sign that we are being too hard on him? Like, are we, you and I, the, the Tibbs critics... Are we being too hard on Tom Thibodeau? Should we be putting our arms around this big teddy bear like Patrick is? Um, I'll I'll unpack this backwards. Absolutely not. We are doing okay. the right thing. We are doing the absolute right thing here. <laughs> this is going to you. You could basically he hammers look PJ into Fleck, the, yes. but he refuses to. But you okay. right, right, right. But with where the wolves are, the wolves you you can see exactly where th- this is going. So if the question is, are we doing the right thing? The answer is, we absolutely are. To understand the Patrick Tibbs bromance, though, you got to go back to Mussy because Patrick, like 
like Bill. And Bill Bill was Tibbs' uh, head coach when Tibbs uh, was on his staff as an assistant coach when the Wolves were an expansion team. So yeah. I think to understand the relationship, you have to go back to Mussy. And then I want to say that Pat told me he recently, I think it might have been he recently found out that old Pat and Tibbs were friends. But come on, I've worked with Patrick. I started as a copy aide at the uh, in the Star Tribune Sports Department in 1989, and Patrick is the ultimate contrarian. He is. He loves so it. So what percentage of it is? Oh, everyone's role. ripping Tom Thibodeau, and so I'm going to befriend him. Versus, he just likes the rigid, grumpy, old school sort of. I heard from my I heard from my spies at Target Center during the course of th- this year too, though. That the feeling is mutual. Tibbs loves Patrick as well. Okay. So if you got a coach who comes to you and is like, Phil, I think you're great. I think I read or listen to your stuff all the time. You know, you might be smitten. You might be taken with that. Okay. So I think there's a lot to this, but I think what we are truly talking about when it comes to uh, when it comes to Tibbs and Patrick, I think we're talking about somewhat kindred spirits here. A little bit. Yeah. I- Ages can't be that far apart. I feel like Tibbs is a little bit 10 more... 10 years or so, probably. I was going to say Tibbs might be a little bit more grumpy, but like Pat can be pretty grumpy, too. Sure he can be. I feel like Pat's more fun-loving than Tom Thibodeau. Unless Tom Thibodeau has this fun-loving side to him that nobody sees publicly except for like the three people that are close to him. It's difficult for me to fathom that. Like, there's nothing about Tibbs. I've never heard a story about, oh, you should see Tibbs around. He's got no family. Like he goes, he's got a sister, I believe, out east. But it's not like he's got a wife and kids. Yeah. But I, I think we got, I think we got guys that, in this case, two older guys that absolutely love sports, love to tell mm-hmm. stories, and and secretly they long for 1977. Secretly, <laughs> they so badly want this to be 1977 again. So the bromance comes from there. It is kind of funny that we we definitely. If we're being self-aware in our Tom Thibodeau criticism, we do hammer you more if on top of like things that are criticizable on the court or on the field, if you have a brooding or or unlikable personality. And Tom Thibodeau has both of those, just sort of a brooding, uh, you know, he gets, he just, in all the stories you hear about him are mostly negative behind the scenes in terms of the way he deals with people. We gave Jerry Kill a ton of leeway, even though those Gophers teams were mostly mediocre and going to the same bowl games that like Tim Brewster went to one time or two times uh-huh. and then Glenn Mason went to at the end. But Jerry Kill had this aw shucks, likable personality, and he was trying to overcome these health issues. And so his story and his personality bought him some time and bought him some leeway. Tom Thibodeau, yes, on the court, you might look and say, oh, the, the record suggests that you should be behind this guy. Uh, but <laughs> but the brooding personality and the drama and the strife behind the scenes probably make it a lot harder to back well, him. That's th- that's my read. On I it. think it's the constant shouting and screaming in, in games too. When you can hear yeah. him in every every Fox Sports North game, that you got to get up at times and say, "I can't take this." I think that plays a role too. Now, here here's the interesting thing about us, though, and I don't know exactly how to quantify this, but I know it because we've seen it time and time again. We don't necessarily even need a really good guy. To me, guys like Bud Grant and Zim, if you're stoic, if you if you might be somewhat of a sourpuss, but you're stoic about it, we like that. So it's not it's not as if we need a good old boy for sure to like you. But there is a line, and Tibbs crosses that that line, and. I, 
I really believe a guy like Zim walks it perfectly. Mm-hmm. We like Zim, and it's not like he's a bunch of fun. But he comes off, I think, as stoic and in charge, and Tibbs comes off as a, for lack of a better term, raving lunatic. Well, he, okay. Well, here's another personality contrast, or it's it's more apples to apples here than probably the Jerry Kill one. The Timberwolves were so bad from 1989 or 1990 all the way through like 1996. It was a it was a half decade or more of expansion slash bad slash inept basketball, right? This stretch recently has been longer. It was a 13 or 14 year stretch. But the Wolves come in, they play 500 basketball, they get to the eight seed, and Flip Saunders was the coach, 1996 97. And we loved Flip Saunders because he had a likable personality. He's from Minnesota. Yes. You know, played for the Gophers, right? Yes. But that team was still very much flawed. It was a 500 team. And then they scrapped for the seven and the eight seed for another five, six, seven years until they finally put a team together that went deeper in the playoffs and all throughout that stretch we defended Flip Saunders we love Flip Saunders right even though the teams had flaws and the rosters had flaws and they didn't play a lot of defense in some of those years yes Tom Thibodeau comes in and we're dealing with an imperfect team and an imperfect roster and a team that scrapped to get to the 8th seed we even we we thought during the Flip Saunders era these teams should be better like they should be winning in the playoffs just like this year we thought this team should be better uh, with the roster and the talent they have and yet we couldn't be more down collectively as Wolves followers on the coach. And I think it's just strictly per, it's, it's personality. It's personality. Yes. Yeah, but it's also... And it's not to say that Flip didn't deserve some criticism. Like, we probably gave him a pass because of his personality. Flip was... Seven years, of, one and done. Of, of, of all the coaches that I've watched in this market as a fan or in this business, I think Flip was the biggest genius. Flip, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, played us perfectly. He absolutely, I mean, who else invited radio personalities over to their house to eat pizza and watch basketball? Mm-hmm. And, and where, but where Flip was good was he came off as genuine. Because the one thing we hate, the one thing I think that we rebel against the most is, is if we could tell you're a fraud. And Flip came off as a genuinely nice guy. But Flip played us absolutely perfectly, and Flip got... You're, you're right. When those teams struggled, when those teams didn't play well, we still like Flip, and, and there was a point there where we would have turned on a lot of coaches. Yeah. So, I don't know. I thought that was kind of funny. I, I want to follow this. I feel like he should reveal it. more. The guy, he sat down for three hours with Tom Thibodeau last night it. and revealed nothing. Podcast right there. Three hours with Tibbs. I mean, can't Three he... Three hours storytelling with Tom. It, it would be great to hear. Is he going to tell stories on the air today? I don't know. I guess we'll have I to, hope so. to wait till later. Find out. Give me another ball. Take the drop, Roy. Roy, just... Give me another ball. <laughs> this is the last ball you got in the bag, Roy. You get this one wet, we're disqualified. I can make it across. Well, then do it. Quit f***ing around. Uh, no, we're not on the edge. Um, I thought we could be on the edge, but uh, we've surpassed it. Um, yeah, it's pretty much gone. Uh, specifically, the latter part of the, the day for us was... It's pretty much shot, um, which is unfortunate because it's... In my opinion, uh, some of the best land and certainly one of the best mm. venues in all of golf, specifically in this uh, in this country, it's 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 as good as it gets. Shinnecock Hills is as beautiful, uh, but unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, they've lost the golf course. I wish I could say the same for the folks at TPC that they lost the golf course and the the 18th hole was just a, you should have lost Travis your scorecard on that hole. Yeah, the ten that I carded on eighteen yesterday was uh, was not due to the USGA. So explain the scorecard because this scorecard, as we we broke down here <laughs> at the end of the Monday show, was spectacular. 
Well, I'm not that good at golf, so that helps explain why I carded a 10 on the par 5 18th at TPC yesterday. But before that, what happened? You were playing great. So this was my third time out this year. I am scratching to break 90 every time I go out. I'm a, I guess if if I were to officially be keeping track of my handicap, I'm like a 20 to 25 handicap golfer. Like I'm not, I'm not going to shoot over a hundred really, but I'm going to give you 92, 94, somewhere in there, slightly above bogey golf. And so TPC from the blues, by the way, which is 6,700 yards, which is a lot longer than most municipal courses. This is impressive. And I, and I, and I start the back nine, three straight pars. And then I think it was a bogey. And then another par. So I'm, and then I, or what was it? I might've been, I was actually, I was four over through, uh, yeah, and then a couple bogeys. I was four over through eight holes. We started basically on the back nine. We played the eighth and the ninth, and then I started carting it nine through 18 or 10 through 18. And I'll just tell the story. All right. So we get up to 18 and I have the round of my life going at one of the more difficult courses that I'll that I've played to this point. I've played it four times, but this is by far the best I've played. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brad Lane, our program director, is in our group. Chris Long from Channel 5 and uh, and Photog Scott from Channel 5. And we're waiting for the press conference to announce the, the PGA Tour event. But they're, they give media four hours to go out there and hack around and do your thing, right? Yeah. Chop it up and go lose about 100 golf balls. And back nine, I'm looking at your card right now. Five over through 17. It was five over. Yes, okay. you had a double in there. Okay, but still five over through the first eight holes. Very good. We're talking about like that's, that's on pace to maybe goal. like no, flirt yeah. with an eighty or something, or somewhere like between eighty and eighty-five. You'll that's definitely like, take it. That's yes. like Tommy Fleetwood going for the sixty-two on Sunday. <laughs> well, pretty close. Pretty close. Uh, so I get up. It's a par five, five hundred thirty yards. There's water in play, and actually Max worked. Inter Max worked at. TPC Twin Cities for a summer, so he knows exactly what I'm talking about here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tee shot, your water's not water's not in play, especially if you are five foot eight and hit the ball 200 yards like with a full swing. So I get up, second shot, and hit it just up to the left of the water because there's no way I can get to the green over the water with my second shot. So I'm in perfect position, little seven iron over the water, as confident as I've ever felt playing golf in my life. Has this ever happened to anyone before? I tell the rest of the story where you've like reached a new level in in something whether it's sports or something you've gotten to this new level and you feel like this major breakthrough has happened and for me it was golf yesterday oh yeah okay yeah it happens in golf i mean maybe maybe for judd it was when he went and practiced his basketball shot last week like made a no, free throw no no pro- no, no probably not <laughs> no it was probably that time uh, <laughs> watching junior legion ball where it was a rundown score. and he nailed yeah. it yeah. two three <laughs> nine, four, nine three, six, six five yep. three put out two nine. nailed it yeah. and the right fielder came to third base and made the put out and i got it <laughs> you nailed it wow just absolutely nailed it so i'm ready and in my head i'm thinking this is a nice, easy seven iron, up and down, maybe for a birdie, but let's say a two putt par for a bleeping, f- what's the math there, 41? Unbelievable. On a nine at TPC? Yep. Sixth most difficult hole on the golf course, by the way, according to the handicap. Ready to slay one of the most difficult holes on yes. the golf course. Chunked third shot, 100 oh. yards. It was supposed to be 160, 170 into the water. Oh. Okay, that's okay. We'll collect ourselves. That's okay. Now we get to we get to move up a little bit because we get to go up on that line, drop it, uh, replace it. Now we're pitching wedge distance. Okay, let's reset it. Mm-hmm. 
Yep, couple deep breaths. Clear the mechanism. All right, all right. Little pitching wedge this time. Just gonna, just gonna poke it up there. You know, two putt. Maybe, maybe double bogey. We'll see. Water again. <laughs> oh no! Give me another ball. Take a drop, Roy. Roy, just give me another ball. <laughs> this is the last ball you got in the bag, Roy. Yeah. No. All right, all right. Pitching wedge again. Now we're hitting our seventh shot. At this point, it's a par five. So now we're like we're hitting from 120 yards and water between me and the hole for a double bogey and overcompensating. I just hit it up to the left because I didn't want to deal with the water into a bunker Mm. into the sand. No, poke it out of the bunker two putt for a 10. You lost the course. And then I lit myself on fire. (laughs) Hey, only two putt though. It was. It was only a two putt hole. That's good. The first one might have been from the fringe. I think it was a one putt hole. See? (laughs) So at which shot? And then I kind of melted down and shot like 95 or 96 or something. Which shot caused the the worst sinking feeling? Was it the first time when it went in the water? Was it like that feeling where you're like, this was was so damn good? The the first one felt worse because I genuinely thought, this is going to sound ridiculous, as a guy who's only broken 90 about a handful of times, I was thinking... Oh my God! I'm going to break 80 for the first time. Like I'm going to put this on, <laughs> on the this green. course. Yes, I was so standing over that third shot. I've never been more confident. I'm 33 years old. I've been playing golf for 18 years. <laughs> I've never been more confident standing over a golf ball than holding a seven iron. Third shot, TPC 18, ready to stick it within 12 feet, and two putt for a par. Oh, 41. Man. Never been more confident. And then have never felt less confident after walking off that hole. <laughs> who is in your group? How good were the other players? Well, Brad Lane, uh, who is the best. Brad had a stretch of seven holes where he was like two under par. A bunch of pars and a couple birdies. Wow. And then Chris is up and down. Chris Long is up and down, our buddy from Channel okay. 5. He was mostly terrible yesterday. I think he'd be okay with me saying that. Um, and then Scott the Photog, not, not a, I don't think he golfs a lot. He rented clubs. So it wasn't like we had a bunch of Rory McIlroy's out there. Sure. I was hoping there was a former pro or something that was lighting it up, and you were thinking for a while, man, I'm hanging right with you. There, <laughs> and I discarded a 10. You know, it's funny. There was on uh, we the seventh hole was the last hole that we played, and that's like a the way that the pins were set up, it was like a 267 yard par four. And if you but it's protected, there's all kinds of bunkers and stuff. And so, you know, the. The optimal play is to just hit a driver up past everything, and hit, and like Brad almost drove the green, Chris did, and so I didn't play a driver the whole day. I played three wood the whole day to be accurate. And there was another group watching our tee shots because they got done with their four hours. So there's like eight people at this point watching the tee box, and I pull out a driver for the first time all day, thinking, "Here we go, let's do this, let's run one up there." I hate when Shank people watch. water. <laughs> And that wound up being an eight. So I had a ten and an eight on the card. Well, just and an otherwise round of my life yesterday at TPC. But we're getting a PGA so, tour event and it's gonna be awesome. Yes. Starting next summer. It July sounds 4th, like right? sounds like yeah, early July. They haven't finalized the schedule yet, but it sounds like early July. Let's take a break so I can come back you and can, collect well, from this story. At least now we understand the scorecard completely. It was not and and the fir- the the plus five through seven holes or through eight holes was not a fluke at all. It was quite simply the best golf I've ever played, and then the wheels coming off the wagon. It happens. Viking like. It was very Viking. Vikings like. Why <laughs> tight. The Mackie and Judd show will continue in a moment. We'll be back in the game before you know it. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. 
We now continue with more Mackie and John live from the TCL Broadcast Studios on 1500 ESPN. You said you and Collar got into this yesterday or were kicking it around and we were just talking during the break that golf golf might not be the hardest like thing to do in sports because yep. you can play golf at a high level when you're 50 years old. Steve Stricker is still... One of the best putters in the world. The guy's in his fifties, and you don't have to be in fantastic shape. It helps, no. but you don't have to. Right? Be. Look at look at some of the guys. Look at Mark Leishman, classic dad bod. He's one of the top what, thirty golfers like in the world. Yep. Yeah, but is it the hardest thing? Whether you're just a hack like me going around at TPC and it's just self imposed pressure, or you're one of these dudes, you're Tony Finau, and you wake up on Sunday and all of a sudden you're in the final group at a U.S. Open. And there are millions of people watching you on the course, on TV, and it's it, there's no teammates. Is it the hardest thing in terms of mental, having to repeat mechanics in moments of duress and stress? I mean, yes. It's, it's, I think it might be the amazing. toughest. I, I think of all of any pressure situation that you think of and and where you're going to feel completely alone, and if it breaks down, it's all your fault, and, and there's... No, not necessarily going to be a person there to support you immediately. Golf is it, right? Yeah. Because if you're shooting, if you're shooting free throws in basketball and you're at the line, that's pressure, but you still got a support system around you. And I just go back to the fact that a golfer steps up to a tee and you've got all these people lining the, the fairway. That's what's amazing. And like they look around <laughs> like it's nothing and they hit the ball for the most part right down the center. And and we take it for granted that they can do that, but when you think about that and you think about the pressure there, and then plus add in the fact that you're an independent contractor, you're all alone, and it takes a variety of shots to be successful. So it's not just like one thing. You can drive it well, but if your short game's not great, yeah. you're in trouble. And then at the end, you have to putt it. Yes, and like if there's any nerves at all, your mechanics change or your your pace changes. And I, I think the, the cool thing about golf too, and you might be able to get this if you play town baseball or maybe a little bit, if you play softball, like there's pressure, there's different levels of pressure that you could self apply or your team could apply. Hey, we're in a tournament this weekend. We're a bunch of 35 year old beer guzzling softball players, but we're in a tournament this weekend and it's a close game. And so there's, you can go get that pressure, but in golf, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're Tiger Woods or if you're, if we took you out for the first time in like 20 years and you're trying to break 90 for the first time or you're trying to, I got a buddy who tried to break 100 for two summers. And so we'd be, and so this is a guy who would shank nine drives around and would hack around and would have a, a, a triple bogey over here, double bogey over there, but dang it, we're on the 18th green. And he's putting for double bogey, and if he, if he makes it from twelve feet, yes, he shoots ninety nine for the first time in his life, right? Like it's, and it doesn't matter how good you are. It's yes. you, you can find these different levels to apply pressure and get that same feeling. At least you, like your body doesn't know that you're shaking or you're or you're nervous or you have anxiety whether you're shooting for ninety nine. You got the first time where they're trying to win the U.S. Open. Breathe right then, because they they talk about that. They they talk about. I got to the shot and I did my breathing exercises and I and I think to myself though, but you've got all these people watching. It is it yeah. that simple to just calm yourself down? Be like, ah, oh, it's no problem. No, I think the answer is no. It's not that simple. It just unless seems so you've simple been there for it. twenty years like Tiger Woods and he just doesn't even see the people. Six five one six four six eight two five five. Hey Bob. Hey, how you doing, guys? Good man. Great. What's going on? Why? Well, you talk about 
self-imposed pressure. 20, 21 years old. I'm 53 now. I grew up in California, and I can remember a California State Bowling Tournament. There yes. are no teammates. This is singles, right? Mm-hmm. It's about a three-month tournament. I go in that morning, get a new ball drilled, come out, shoot a 178, and then turn around and shoot a 278 and 250. Then my next three games, I shoot like an 800 series. After one day, I'm leading the dang thing. <laughs> this is awesome. Okay? Yep. I got I got three more games left on Sunday afternoon, late afternoon. I didn't get the early morning draw, and I did not sleep a wink. Oh, no. I come out and just basically lay an egg. Yeah. I figured it out last night or the night before. All I had to do was shoot maybe average 195 for the day, and nobody could touch me. Yeah. So I you so up, you just you were you woke up, well you didn't even really sleep, you said. You were nervous oh and you goodness. and you couldn't tell your body and your mind that it's no different than, you know, Thursday night league uh, over beers, right. right? Right. I mean and I averaged to between two ten and two twenty. Yeah. You know, and uh but I was twenty, twenty one years old and I had been to Vegas and Nationals and all kinds of different amateur tournaments and stuff like that, but this was the biggest Thing I had ever been in, and the first time I've ever had that pressure. Now, I will say, over the years, um, I've learned to handle the pressure, and I don't have those issues anymore, but that was a life-altering experience. I, I ended up 10th yeah. in the tournament. Yeah, see, but that's, that's Bob, that's a great story. Thank you. And that, I feel like that's sort of what happened on the 18th hole for me yesterday at TPC, where if you're standing at a driving range... And for me, I hit a, I hit a seven iron like 160 to 165 yards. Rory McIlroy hits a seven iron as far as he wants to, but I could sit there at a driving range, just whatever. I could go there this afternoon and just hit a, I could just hit a seven iron 160 yards and you'd be fine. You know, maybe like one out of ten I would miss hit somewhere, whatever. But then when you add, oh, it's TPC. Oh, there's water. And you're playing well. Oh, this is the best you've ever yeah. played for eight holes. That's oh, the... there's people watching you now. There's three people in your group watching <laughs> yes. you. Oh, there's another group over there that <laughs> might be watching me. I'm not sure. Yes. All of a sudden, your heart starts to race a little faster. And your, your mind starts to race a little bit. Absolutely. But it's completely meaningless, self-imposed pressure, right? It doesn't matter. The other, but you still can't okay. tell your brain the that other, you're on the driving range. The other thing about golf that, that would goof me up is actually the quiet like, You'd want the crowd to be yeah. Like if there's noise, if there's noise, I feel like because if if it's quiet, then your mind I think starts to really race. Like if there's noise, it's it's distracting. But I think I think a certain level of distraction is almost a good thing. But the complete quiet, and so you're thinking to yourself, and then you're thinking more, and then you're thinking more. I would almost want some noise. Just to just to make it seem like they're not all they're just, not all watching you. Right? Well, it, are you talking would, about are you talking about as a if you're playing the U.S. Open or are you talking about just like on a municipal course? As I'm Judge saying Ogan? yeah, just a course because we can make that happen. Just I'm saying a just a box. course. I think it would be. I think it would actually be because because to me the concentration part. The more the more you've got complete silence, yeah. the tougher it gets. Because then you're just completely thinking about one thing, and and that is don't screw this up, Dave. What's the most? Is you golf enough? What's the? Do you remember the most? Or Max too? Max is a golfer. Like the most pressure you've ever self imposed pressure you've ever felt, just kicking it around on a Saturday. If I'm playing a good round, I can't help myself. You get to like fourteen, fifteen. 
You'll start to add it up. You have to add up the scorecard. Oh, that's the worst. Yes, and you get there. That's the worst. If I, if I par out, <laughs> I'll shoot 79. And then you're guaranteed triple, to double the next hole, and that's, you know, that's completely done. Um, I mean, as a, one moment, I remember making a big putt once in a match I was having with an uncle of mine. Uh, it was a grudge <laughs> match to find out who was going to be the champion of the week in golf, and it was just just the two of us. We had actually tied after the set four rounds, so we had to go out for another round and play the next wow. day. And I had to make like a big, you know, 10 foot breaking butt and I actually nailed it. So for a, I was probably like 14, 15, 16 at the time. That felt like a lot of pressure, but it was absolutely nothing. Right. I remember uh, on the add up the score thing. That's a, that's a big time one. Oh, I know. And you know, as you're doing it, this is a dumb idea. This is a dumb idea. Five. Okay. Eight. Okay. (laughs) Twelve. In my quest to break 90 for the first, it was like a few summers ago, my quest to break 90 for the first time, and me and some buddies were at Keller out in Maplewood. Mm-hmm. Keller actually hosted a, ma- a major in like the 1940s or 1950s yep. or something. Yeah, it was big time. It, it, it's a fun course. And so I didn't add up anything. I knew I was playing pretty well by my standards, pretty well, like mostly bogey, par, maybe double bogey here and there. Didn't add anything up. Just like, you know, tally the scores, but didn't add it up until the 18th tee box. And calculated, oh, I just need double bogey or better here, or whatever it was. Like it was double bogey or better, and I'm in, baby. And it's a and we were playing from the whites, so it's like a three hundred fifty yard hole, and there's one piece of trouble, a bunker in the on the left side of the fairway that's about I don't know, whatever. It's like two hundred yards up or something. So just take a club that doesn't get to that bunker. That just take a club that eliminates that bunker. And I just decided, like, oh, I'm, I feel good about this club. And it, it happens to be the disc. I think it was a three iron or whatever it was. And I hit it right in the bunker, knowing that any other club, literally, I could take a pitching wedge this entire hole and probably card a double bogey. And instead took the club that would. So if I, and so then it was like, hack it out of the bunker, off the lip, uh, back in the bunker, you know, <laughs> hack it back out, get up to the green. And it was, the, it was looking at the scorecard and the pointless self-imposed pressure that derails you. When in doubt, ridiculous. blame the course. They lost the course. <laughs> That's right. That's yeah. from now on. Stupid just say, bunker. they lost the course. Yeah. Let's take one more on this here. Nick, you're on the show. Gentlemen, how are you? What's, What's going on, man? Hey, real quick before I get to my point. Bill, one of those, I know that story is a lie because I've never seen you miss a shot to the left in my life. Well, this were you talking about the Keller one or are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. I didn't hear the first part of the story. I just turned tuned in like three minutes ago and heard you guys talking about golf. Oh, okay. Well, the story started with me carding a 10 on uh, TPC's 18th hole when I was like shooting the round of my life yesterday and I went tin cup on it. That's how the story started. (laughs) Well done, John Daly. Yes. (laughs) Well, I just wanted to say real real quick to add, you're talking about adding up the scores. Even worse than that is if you have some chowder buddy who on the 14th or 15th or 16th hole says, oh, hey, you're like one under par or one over par. You're playing pretty good today. Don't be that guy and bring up the score to one of your buddies that hasn't looked at the for the whole round. Don't be that guy. Oh, that's that's pretty bad. That's bad etiquette for sure. Yeah, there's nothing worse than a guy like that that brings up the score because he knows they, they know it's going to get in your head. And every single time, no matter what they say or how it goes down, you crap the bed coming in, and then you have obviously you have somebody to blame because he, he said something. But still, it's just funny how that works when somebody brings up the score. You haven't thought about it for 14 or 15 holes, and he brings it up, and down down the crapper it goes. Man, it's that it's that pointless Nick. Thanks for the call, man. 
uh, golf guy in Boulder Point. It's that pressure that doesn't really matter or exist, but it's just completely but it, self. But it does. Mm-hmm. But it's but it doesn't like it's a but, made but up. No, it's a right, literally right, made up right. figment. The when when I golfed, the worst feeling was standing over a putt on a hot day, and you'd be thinking to, to yourself. I can make this. And the next thing that you could feel was your heart pounding up to your head. And so like, you, Are like you sure that wasn't just like the you alcohol? could feel your no, it was times I wasn't drinking, but you could feel like your heart pounding through through your body. That is the worst feeling because, you know, no matter what you're trying to accomplish at that point, no matter what you're trying to do, you're completely. Oh, my God, this putts for one oh nine. One oh seven. And then you end up with a 110. (laughs) Uh, Reckless, wild speculation when we come back. Also, a scoop of Doogie at the top of the hour. Pecking order on the show today. Jason Stark, Mackie and Judd. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. And we're out. On 1500 ESPN. Bill Mackey. Probably wants a big amount of money and he's a pain in the ass. Judd Zolgad. Is there nothing you can't make awkward, Judd? Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. We had a, a contract a clause that stated if we won a Stanley Cup, his contract would be extended uh, two years at an increased rate. And um, I think we our discussions with his representative centered around that and what he was looking to accomplish through negotiations. So we had several discussions on what they were looking for and about the existing contract, and we weren't able to come to an agreement. Okay, so ex- explain, before we get into the reckless speculation portion here, Barry Trotz will not be the coach of the Washington Capitals anymore. Yeah. How is this possible? Uh, they just won the Stanley Cup. So it's possible because of this. There, the The thought process, or until yesterday, everyone thought that his contract was up July 1st. But Barry Trotz had a clause in his contract that if the team won the Stanley Cup, a two-year extension automatically kicked in. Now, here's where Barry Trotz needs a new agent. (laughs) The bump in pay on his contract on the two-year extension for winning a Stanley Cup was $300,000 per year. Okay. What do do coaches make in the NHL? uh, The highest paid is Mike Babcock of Toronto, $6.25 million per year. Joel Quenville of Chicago, $6 million per year. Bruce Boudreaux is around three. Okay. So Barry Trotz was at a base of $1.5 million last year. So he was grossly underpaid. But they said if you if you win a cup, you get a two-year extension at a rate of $300,000 per year. Well, guess what Barry Trotz said? Well, boys, this ain't going to work. I want yeah. uh, I want a five-year extension at $5 million per. That's fair. And the Capitals said absolutely not. Why would you not do the that? The Capitals said absolutely not. So, okay, aren't, they, aren't the Capitals saying... I'm not defending them. That's what they said. No, yeah, but what... Uh, okay, why wouldn't the Capitals then just come out... I mean, well, is this what they're saying? Coaching is not relevant in hockey. Like, isn't that pretty yeah. much what they're saying? Yeah, yes. Coaching they, doesn't matter in hockey. They are, they are saying that we can find a coach to take this group of players and do just as well as Barry Trotz did. That's absolutely what they're saying. And they don't even want to pay a few million extra dollars as sort of a, you know what, maybe not a five-year extension, but how about how about like three among uh, among the top-paid coaches in the NHL? But he who, probably doesn't say no to that. But who works out an extension that says if my client wins the Stanley Cup, the bump in pay is three hundred thousand dollars per year? That's pretty bad. That's an awful raise, especially if you Stanley know that Cup. your base salary is a lot lower than like for your resume. <laughs> you know what the Washington Capitals are saying, boys? Hockey's random. Anyone can coach that's us. What they, that's exactly what they're that's saying. That's what they're saying. So I don't ever want to hear any of you no, hockey diehards No, I'm smarter than the Capitals, point. even though they, they won the Cup. This makes no sense. 
But this makes it, no but sense. It, so is it true that, that there are <laughs> 10 other coaches that could come in and take the Capitals back to... Because Bruce Boudreaux took the Capitals to the playoffs and won the division in the... You know what? Ten ten years ago, eight years ago, he didn't get him to the finals. I I don't know. Did but, Barry but Trotz get them to the finals, or how much credit do you think Barry Trotz deserves? I think he, for, he deserves some, but I think because I did too. But but I just think to your previous statement, I think it makes no sense that a guy wins the Stanley Cup and you and you don't say, okay, we'll pay you, we'll just pay you. I mean, it's so weird. Like, what else would you be looking for in a coach if you fired Bruce Boudreaux in two thousand twelve? Mostly because you kept losing coin flip games in the playoffs. You finished. This is this is the story of Boudreaux with the Capitals. He coached there for four and a half years. They finished first in the division every single year. They weren't in first place when he got fired, but they probably would have been by the end of the year. So they fired him because of his lack of postseason success. They get a coach in here, Barry Trotz, who's actually he has a lot more NHL experience. The guy's been in the NHL as a coach for 20 years, right? right? In Nashville for a long time and before. So, and so if you're firing coaches because they can't win key playoff games, mm-hmm. and then you refuse to pay a coach who helps you win close playoff games, mm-hmm. I'm just scratching my head at that. Um, and so, now it's time for... Reckless speculation! Okay, so the obvious connection here is Barry Trotz and new wild general manager know each other going back to the National And Leopold, days. too. And Craig Leopold. Going way back. Correct. So, yeah, so I, I got a couple of tweets about this immediately, and, and the Sporting News actually ran a list of potential teams where Barry Trotz could land. And in the Sporting News piece, the Wild was team number two as far as potential landing spots. So the reckless speculation is, well, Boudreaux and Fenton don't know each other, and and Boudreaux might be good, but would Fenton be more comfortable with a guy he knows, uh, having been assistant GM in Nashville with uh, Trotz when he was coach? And there's a couple of things here. One is Bruce is entering year three of a contract that pays him three million per. So if you were to if you were to bring on Barry Trotz and give him a five year deal that would be extremely lucrative, is my guess. You would need to fire Bruce and pay Bruce off uh, six million for the last two years, approximately, of his contract. But the other thing about this is, of all the faults that the Wild has and all the potential moves that they could make, Boudreaux one thousand percent deserves to stay. So the speculation is going to, to be, well, wouldn't Fenton be more comfortable with Trotz and and Trotz just won a Stanley Cup and he's going to be great? But there is no case in my mind to fire Bruce. No, there's not. There Bruce has taken there his team. There wasn't for Anaheim. There wasn't no. for Washington. Other than we just want to try somebody else to see if this random move can get us to a Game 7 in, victory. In Bruce's first year here, 2016-17, the team had 106 points. Franchise record. Last year, with, with a team that was maddening at times, 101 points. Third best total in franchise history. People will come back and say, yeah, but Barry Trotz won a Stanley Cup. Well, for all of Boudreaux's flameouts in the playoffs... Barry Trotz, in his coaching career until this year, had never got past the second round. Yeah. So, and missed the playoffs in like half the years that he was with Nashville. So you too. can go through the wild roster. You can find faults in this franchise left and right. The one thing that I don't think it's fair to find a fault in, certainly not yet, head coaching. Boudreaux deserves every possible chance with a reconstructed roster to make a playoff run. I agree. I just think it's so it's so weird I I don't know. This is just the fact that Barry Trotz didn't just get what he wanted, which is, you know, you're just going to be one of the five highest paid coaches in the league. You've been around for 20 years and 
you were uh, a key component to bringing all this together, the straw that stirs this drink, and we're going to pay you. So I can't get past the fact that the best team in the NHL, the team that just won the Stanley Cup championship that has the best goal scorer in the NHL, has said, you know what? Coaching's kind of marginal in this sport. We don't really feel the need to pay someone uh, in your position, Stanley Cup champion coach, the yeah. money that you would think in other sports that that, like imagine in football, if the, um, who was the coach, um, why am I blanking? The the coach, Dan Quinn of the Atlanta Falcons, okay? Mm-hmm. If they don't blow a three touchdown lead in the Super Bowl, what were they up? 28 to three in the Super Bowl, 25, mm-hmm. so a four, almost a four touchdown lead. If they don't blow that game, and Dan Quinn, I don't think was one of the highest paid coaches. He was one of the newer ones to sign a contract, so he was, I don't think he was at the bottom of the barrel. Imagine if Dan Quinn leads the Falcons to a Super Bowl championship, their first Super Bowl championship, and he says, all right, pay up. I just beat the Patriots, slaughtered the Patriots, in fact, because we held on to a 28-3 to lead and won the game 42-10. to See you later. And they say, you know We're going to promote the, Offense, associate, yeah, exactly. the associate head coach. It would never happen. The assistant I, so, head coach, yeah. But I think what it tells you is there's just like, there's, there's probably less value strategically in hockey coaches than there would be in other sports. And I would say the same thing about baseball managers, it's, where if you got the right players... It's still a, silly, it's still a dumb look, though, right? It is. Like, it's yeah. just a dumb look. You you finally did something that you've been trying to achieve for, what, 42 years? Mm-hmm. Just pay the guy. Would you rather have Barry Trotz or Bruce Boudreaux for the next five years as as the coach? Let's say of the Wild. Um, I like Bruce a lot. I do, too. I mean, Barry Trotz is a good coach. But but th- this is not now. If Barry Trotz had a pattern of of postseason excellence, and you said, "Man, he's done this five times," I might lean that way. But I think with what Boudreaux has done, and the fact that the biggest knock against him as a coach during the course of his career is he can't get past that game se- sevens too often. And as you said, that's a coin flip game. There's nothing about Boudreaux that bothers me. Yeah. So I, I would certainly, like, but there is, but for everyone out there saying, man, Barry Trotz would be great. Boudreaux's done a really good job. He's done a really good job. And if you tweak this roster and get it right, he deserves every chance to have that team. Reckless speculation. Uh, Doogie will join for his weekly scoop session in about 15 minutes or so. And he had Brian Windhorst on his latest podcast. And Brian Windhorst has some interesting nuggets. We'll talk a lot of wolves and speculation in about 15 minutes with Doogie. Plus, Jason Stark later on in the show. It's Mackie and Judd. Sit tight. The Mackie and Judd show will continue in a moment. No! No! no. Now! I need it now! Yes! I can't wait. Mackie and Judd. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. All right, people. Let's get ready. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios on 1500 ESPN. Get your Independence Day off to a running start with the Red, White, and Boom TC Half Marathon Relay and 5K on July 4th. Come out to Boom Island Park for this Twin Cities summer tradition and get your run and first picnic of the holiday under your belt. If you're out of town at the lake, no problem. You can run the virtual Red, White, and Boom wherever you are at celebrating. For more details and to register, visit 1500ESPN.com. Keyword events. Quarter three is good. A chance for a four-point play, Jamal Crawford. All right, so uh, Jamal Crawford officially gone from the Timberwolves. He has opted out of his player option, $4.5 million player option. And that news, the news of him likely opting out was three, four weeks ago. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, the, but he he has officially triggered the opt-out clause. And he you just pulled up an article, Johnny Krasinski from The Athletic yes. actually had a chat with him one-on-one 
And I'm guessing he didn't. He's not the type of guy that's going to burn a bunch of bridges. And he does so, not. Okay, so he was diplomatic. Diplomatic in his is. comments. What are some of the things that he said about his time with the Timberwolves? One year with the Timberwolves. He told Johnny that that my number one priority is fit. I think that's very very important. I've seen so many different situations in the NBA, and fit is so important. Uh, he goes on basically basically if you read between the lines of this and talking about fit, he's trying to say that there's a lot of bad fits in this league. I ended up in one. It doesn't mean I, I hate the team or Tibbs, hmm. and so. And he's right. It was a bad fit both ways. And my curiosity here when it comes to Crawford is this. What he's going to tell people in our business is probably different from what he would tell his friends. I would would love to hear what he tells his friends in the league about Tibbs and about the, to use your term, the culture here. Well, I think regardless of what he said in this article, I mean, he, I think his silence on the matter is pretty loud in itself in that. He's not out there saying this is a great place. I just feel like I can make more money somewhere else because it's not. He's not going to make more than four and a half million. No one's jumping to pay a thirty-eight-year-old bench player, in his case, a volume shooter. He's a good leader and he'll definitely win you some games. But no one's going to pay him four and a half million or more. I think he's going to sign for less than four and a half million somewhere. Mm-hmm. So he's turning down millions of dollars. I think maybe or or maybe let's say a million or two to go play somewhere else. Uh, maybe he winds. It's possible he winds up with like the Lakers as a veteran for a million dollars if LeBron James goes there and they need somebody off the bench or something. And he can possibly win a title. Then. Yeah, yeah. But I think so. I I love him. He was a he's been a friend of fifteen hundred ESPNs. He's on the Scoop podcast all the time. Uh, even before he was a Timberwolf, he's been on our show a number of times. And I think he adds value to a team, but not a team like the Timberwolves that already has four guys that need the ball, maybe even five. They need more efficient offensive play, and they need somebody at that wing position, whether it's off the bench or just in a starting role, whatever it may be. Uh, they need someone who can play some semblance of defense. Yeah, which he could not. And he just, you know, it's not he's, he's never been a defensive grinder. He's always been the offensive punch, mostly off the bench in his career. So I actually think saying goodbye to Jamal Crawford from an on-the-court perspective is addition by subtraction because he just wasn't a fit for what they need and for what they're ideally going to try to do in 2018-19. So saying goodbye to your worst defensive player and a guy who, when he comes in, is going to shoot 10 times in 15 minutes, inefficiently most nights, if you just plug that with someone who can make threes and play some defense, it's a better fit for this team. So it's been fun. He Love was great you, Jamal. for us. Love you, Jamal. He was a fantastic, he's a great yeah. quote. Yeah. Um, but him, him essentially, like... The fact that he's not going to go to someone, whether it's a player who comes to him and says, hey, what do you think about, I'm thinking about signing my agents talking with the Timberwolves. I doubt if he's going to go to a fellow comrade in the NBA and say, you know what? Loved my time there. Well, his, Highly recommended. And that's a franchise that's definitely on the rise says, for the next three He years. says of Tibbs, I, I was a fan of Tibbs before I came, and that, that was a lot of the reason why I came, and I'm still a fan of his. I have nothing negative to say about him. Well, that always leads me down the path of I have nothing negative to say about him publicly, publicly to you. <laughs> right. <laughs> but when my buddies call and they say, hey, what, what do you think of Tibbs and the Wolves? I'm going to say, I, you know, I was there for a year and uh, you might want to consider something else. Yeah. I mean, obviously his actions, the fact that he's probably going to turn down a lot of money to go play somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And, uh, on a team that went to the playoffs last year is interesting. All right. Let's keep the Wolves conversation going here. Doogie always has information and we are now... 
So it's if it's draft season here this week, and then free agency in less than two weeks. So all kinds of stuff to speculate on here, and we'll we'll parse through it when Dewey comes in here next. Scoop session, and then Jason Stark in about an hour and a half on Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. You know what they need? Tweaks. 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 On 1500 ESPN.